All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. A family, frankly, Father, that you've ordained from eternity past to gather together on this day. Every soul here was meant to be here this morning, Father. We're so grateful for the grace and the mercy and the love that's brought each one of us here as individuals together to fellowship this way that matters most by breaking the very bread of life, the Word of God, together and just dining on it and feasting on it, Father. What a wonderful blessing this is. May we never become familiar with it, but embrace it for what it is, an expression of your perfect love. Father, we pray for those that earnestly desire to be here this morning, members of this congregation, but for myriad reasons cannot be. Your will be done, of course, but Father, we pray that you heal them and comfort them and bring them back to the fold as soon as possible. We pray also, Father, for those that are still lost in this world without hope, that they be humbled that they repent and receive saving faith. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this of rejoicing reality for each of us to enjoy. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence, uh, part 64. You recall that we left uh, a few weeks ago on part 63, uh, and then we had that, that four-part mini-series uh, called Life is Good Because God Says So, uh, and then Scott was behind the pulpit in my absence uh, on eternal assurance, but we're back to the Lord is our confidence proper. We're sort of, from my perspective, about halfway out of the mine shaft. So we went really deep. I mean, 64 parts is a lot of parts. That's a lot of weeks of studying uh, one topic. And so we went really deep. Uh, and we're sort of coming out. And as we always do, when we come out of a deep dive like that, I call it the mine shaft because we dig so deep. Whenever we come out of the mine shaft, we just look at the writing on the wall. We look at where we've been, sort of milestones that we hit as we went down. Just to summarize on the way back out, um, so I apologize, I see some new faces. Uh, if you're new, don't be frustrated, that's the whole idea. I just had a conversation with someone before class, just don't be frustrated. Uh, we've, most of us have been at this for a very long time. Uh, most of the people in this audience have been with me for a decade. And so if you're new, if you're just you know, starting out, just don't become frustrated, please. Uh, there's just a lot of runway behind us, okay? And for those of you who are part of that uh, earlier group, um, hopefully you've been keeping up with the messages uh, so that you, you do benefit when we come out of a deep dive like this one. It's so valuable uh, not to just skip on and be like, what's next? No, we need that time of reflection, uh, and I'm always grateful to the Spirit for that. Uh, I want to begin, though, this morning with an encouraging email uh, this time I received it from our faithful woman's Bible study facilitator, Michelle Pavia, on February 18th after the last get-together. Uh, and this is not uncommon, the thoroughness and the completeness of the summary uh, coming from this particular woman. Uh, good evening, Pastor. 
Uh, tonight we had a full house, Alice, Kathy, Ann, Pat, Tammy, Lois, Robin, Monica, Diane, Jane, and me. It was nice to have uh, Robin join us. I know she's been out for different reasons, but she said it's nice to have Robin join us as well. Uh, being able to, some of the ladies expressed the need to get used to the new schedule uh, and perhaps felt not as prepared as they wanted, but God prepared me to bring a great amount of scripture for us to read on the topic of humility preceding grace, so he had us covered. And it is so awesome how this topic ties so much into the topic of being transcendent versus transactional. Uh, in how we perceive blessing or the life is good truth. What's coming from the pulpit, uh, Philippians 4, 8, eyes on Christ, you know, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is good. Uh, second, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. God's love and grace pours through us to others. Uh, importance of not looking through a worldly lens to define God's blessings and the beautiful example in Job, redefining blessings, anything that causes us to draw near to him. His peace is such a tremendous blessing and is independent of human circumstance and completely dependent on our obedience to his word and commandments. We covered the first bullet of John 4.10, and some of our discussion points included the following. When we are weak, we are strong. Some of the, quote, best days are the very tough days when we can look back and see that we learned or we leaned on God and talked with him through it all. God graciously breaks us from our flesh's desire for self-sufficiency and desire to be in control. Being brought to our knees is a great place to be, and we can look back and be grateful to God for growth that these moments have allowed Jesus, as our prototype, learned through suffering. Our souls have basic needs designed by God, but we must first recognize the need to be able to appreciate, for example, forgiveness from sin, food, shelter, relationships. We read of, or we read of the prodigal son for an example of this, and we're also reminded of the beautiful humility in Mark 9.24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. We also read through bits of Second Chronicles, looking at how God blessed those kings who humbled themselves before him. And then finally, humility goes hand in hand with ability to appreciate. The flip side of this is arrogance and entitlement. To appreciate and is a prerequisite for God's blessings. It was another night of great fellowship and encouragement. Thank you, Pastor, for bearing steadfast in your faithfulness Love in Christ, Michelle. So uh, I read that, obviously, for encouragement's sake. I get one of those every time there's a woman's Bible study. And it's very encouraging because even if I wanted to join, I can't. You know what I'm getting at? So it's like my only view into what's going on with the women's Bible study. So I really do appreciate it, Michelle, for your faithfulness. And I hope you're all encouraged. And if you haven't been to them or you haven't been in a while, then go. Look at how much is being done. They're only here for an hour. You read, all, you read all, you think they were here for three hours, right? So it's, you know, they probably all get together like, what can we tell pastor? Let's just like put all kinds of stuff. This is what we did in his eat cake or something. I don't know. I'm just kidding, right? But there's a lot of good stuff, right? And I always hear so many good things, and the ladies are so stoked about 
uh, the Bible study. So anyways, uh, with that said, um, we want to quickly review uh, what the Spirit had to say from this pulpit. In my absence, I'm not going to go deep because Scott's still not finished. Um, the Spirit had us focus on the person of Jesus, His love and forgiveness. That's how we started each one of those messages, if you recall. Um, we concluded that life really is good because of Jesus' victory on the cross and through his resurrection, which is to say that Jesus Christ conquered death itself. And for those of us in Christ, we have too. Remember, we've died and we're buried with him. We're resurrected. That's the whole vision of, uh, of our baptism, is that we went into the grave and came out victorious with him at salvation. We also considered the Lord's motivation in salvation. Why did he save us? He didn't have to. For while we were yet sinners, while we were yet hopeless and helpless, right? Romans 5.8. He saved us. He sent his son. Didn't have to do that. What was it? Love. We concluded that love is what made eternal life even possible for us and eternal assurance a reality for us. And Scott gave us this verse up here on the board, Proverbs 17, 9, part A, whoever covers an offense seeks love. I mean, think of the cross. Was there a greater covering than that? Was he not trying to cover our punishment, our penalty? Of course. What was he seeking? Love. God wanted a relationship with you personally. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. We can apply that to our own lives. It's a lot easier to drop the hockey gloves, isn't it? You've offended me. That's it. Let's go. It's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot harder. It takes a lot more strength to say, let me cross the chasm by grace. Let me show some mercy motivated by love. And that's exactly what the cross represents. This is a look into God's own heart. Go to John 3.14. John 3.14. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. John 3.14. This is a look into God's own heart. Why did he go to the cross? Why did God become a man and go to the cross? What was his motivation? What was his reasoning? John 3.14. We see it in Holy Scripture. This is just one example of it, of course. John 3.14 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Here it is. For God so loved the world. There's your answer. Why? Why did He save us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. In order that the world might be saved through Him. Again, what's the point on the board? Whoever covers an offense seeks love. We've got our answer. Why did He give us salvation? Why did He do that salvific work on the cross? Because He loves us. That's why. So do you appreciate fully what we just read in Holy Scripture? This came up uh, in Scott's series so far. 
eternal assurance in Christ, if appreciation for these truths is going on in your heart, that's a sign that you belong to him. If you never really depart from these truths, from the cross, the centerpiece of our lives, we are who we are in Christ because of it. If we never, we're going to celebrate communion service and celebrate that thing at the end of service today. If you never really depart from there, of course we have our moments, right? Who, who hasn't been in a mood this last week? Right? Some of you just wake up and you're like, I'm in a mood, that's it. Day's toast. I woke up. I don't know. It's that simple and pure. It really is. It's not a complicated thing. It's one of the, it's the litmus test. Do I have a piece of his heart? Do I have a slice of that love in me? Am I uh, attracted to him in a, the purest sense of the word? Do I remember him? Do I want to be pleasing to God through him? Do I want all these things, all these gifts that were given to me? Am I appreciative? Am I thankful? Um, it's that simple and pure. It's not complicated. And that's good fruit, fruit of his spirit within you. Stated more practically up here on the board, love manifests. We need to abide in the sphere of God, which is the sphere of love. Remember, God is love. The same sphere of God's love that saved us and keeps us saved. That's where we want to be. And if that's where you reside, generally speaking, we all fail. We all still sin. But if that's your home, if that's your true north, that's your litmus test. That's how you know. And the Holy Spirit will testify to you on that front. Read 1 John 3 and 4. He will tell you, yes, you're mine. You're with us. You're a member of the family. If that doesn't happen, then keep plugging. If you're here and you're not saved, then just keep on plugging. He's trying to work something out in you. Arguably, the capstone of the two parts already taught in eternal assurance, in my eyes, was this. Life is good. Eternal life is so far beyond and so far better than the transactions we look to in this life. I taught that before I left. Life is, you know, life is good not because of transactions. It's not because, oh, I got a new car today, or oh, I got a new haircut, or oh, I got a new whatever, or I got a new whatever. It's not that. That's, that's, that's religion in its purest sense. That's transactional. You might see God's love through some of that stuff, um, but that's not why life is good. If it were, then I guess it wasn't good before we were born. It had to wait until that transaction happened in your life, right? So it's so far beyond, it's so far better than the transactions we look to in this life. It's not worthy of comparison. That is an absolute truth. So the encouragement this past week was let's transcend our circumstances. Don't allow this ridiculous world to govern your peace to dictate to you why you should or should not be content. The most mature people I've ever met, they're like this. They go through life like this. Bombs are going off. Highs and lows. Everybody else is an emotional train wreck. And they're like this. Right? Don't you want that? That's called peace. It's unflappable. You cannot be affected. You can't be touched when you have that as you're in your portfolio, in your arsenal. You cannot be touched. That's called transcendence. 
Life happens. We have the ability as believers in Christ, as co-victors, to transcend it. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. That's power. And it's yours if you want it, if you're humble. I'm going to leave the full review of the Eternal Assurance series to Scott since he didn't get to finish it, and we'll do so sometime soon. In any case, I'm often asked to remind you from the Spirit what the big picture curriculum is here at North Christian Church. Um, and I'll give you some food for thought, given all the moving parts as of late. I mean, I just we, there's three different series even in view, and one, two of them aren't even complete. We're done with the life is good. Scott didn't finish his. We're already back to uh, this series, which we still haven't completed. Um, but we're on a curriculum, and every so often he wants me to remind you of the big picture curriculum. We have been given a wonderful reminder of two things that the Spirit's been emphasizing from this pulpit since, believe it or not, June 2019, uh, which is when we began the series, The Lord is Our Confidence. I can't believe it. That's when we started. Does it seem that long? Some of you are like, yep. It doesn't. To me, I, I was like, ah, maybe Novemberish. I don't know. October? No, June of last year. That's how long we've been on The Lord is Our Confidence. So we began the series... Um, with the Lord is our confidence, and also right before our most recent message with Evangelist Grande, we had the four-part Life is Good Because God Says So series. Both of these series were amplified even further with this most recent series, Eternal Assurance, Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled. So I hope you see how all three of these series constitute one overarching truth found in the Word of God, that is to say the following. We have been given eternal life and therefore eternal assurance of our salvation, which means that life is truly good in the eyes of the one who has chosen to give us these things. And as a result, the Lord is our confidence as the giver of all things good, according to Holy Scripture. Go to James 1.17. James 1.17. So if we were to look from last June till now, what's the curriculum? What's the Spirit been trying to weave together for us to our benefit? We've seen all the particulars and all the details along the way, um, but there are some major themes that he's been articulating to us uh, over that span of time. James 1.17. <clears throat> some good gifts are... Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Bad translation. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It means that God has exclusive rights to anything good. That's it. That's it. This world can never generate anything good as far as God is concerned. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Go to Romans 11.36. Romans 11.36. As is always the case, I don't want you to believe the bald guy. I don't want you to have my convictions on the subject. I don't want you to uh, lean on my wisdom on the subject. I want you to have your own. The only way that happens is the Word of God, that you see it 
for yourself. Romans 11.36. 36. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then finally, go to Colossians 1.19. Colossians 1, verse 19. Colossians 1.19. Okay, so Colossians 1.19 reads, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me summarize that. I know there's a lot going on, and this is where it really is up to you. I do the best I can as, as a teacher um, to teach you these things, but you have to take these things away uh, after these services. It's not just a two-hour a week and, and you're, you're covered. It doesn't work like that. This actually takes effort. It takes humility. It takes obedience. It takes your time long after I'm out of this building. Long after. The point on the board, what's the Spirit been saying? As a summary, the Lord is the giver of all things good. We just saw that, James 1.17. Beginning with life eternal, His life, John 3.16, we read that earlier. His grace provides us with every ability to obey Him, lest we boast, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and to love Him. We love because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. This gives us confidence and affords us the life is good attitude. All things work together for good for those who what? Love him. That's Romans 8, 28. That's what he's been saying. The Lord is the giver of all things good, beginning with eternal life, his life. His grace provides us with every ability to obey him and to love him. Remember those things? It's not one or the other, my friends. It's both. That's how you know that you're one of his own. A lot of religious people out there that supposedly obey him that don't love him. A lot of uh, fluffernutters that say they love him but don't obey him. No, we, I taught you well on that subject. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. When you keep your commandments, it's proof that you love me. Jesus said that, remember? Not that long ago. This gives us confidence and affords us the life is good attitude. That's a great way to think about all the, the, that the Spirit's been saying uh, and doing here with us in this congregation as of late. Tracing back again to last summer, uh, please keep the big picture in mind as we do continue on in our primary series now. Uh, the Lord is our confidence. So we've got to regain our perspective. Again, we're halfway out of the mind shaft. Uh, we just got to regain a little perspective. We're going to pull from various series at this point. For obvious reasons at this point, the Spirit uh, had us depart for two weeks, um, four parts on this life is good attitude, and then uh, the, the assurance that our life is in Christ uh, last week. Go to Colossians 3.1. Let's just gain our perspective, uh, perspective, excuse me, gain our perspective. Colossians 3.1. It 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We're going to focus a lot on that this morning. Uh, That's one of the great errors that we make. We tend to be distracted and like pulled low. Do you follow? I I vision it. I'm sort of, uh, what do you call it? A a visual learner type person, right? To me, everything's sort of graphical. I, I think of people that, you know, you might come here and you're, you, you know, you're all jazzed up. You're, you really are transcendent. You've got beautiful viewpoint, perspective. You're high on just being alive in Christ Jesus. And then you go to work on Monday. Right? It's like, and everybody's like, you know, it's like everybody else is drowning and they're pulling you down. And you get pulled down. I better stop doing it if I rip my shirt. I'm just kidding. You guys are all stiff, so I'm just loosening you up. Jeez. Right? They try, to pull you down. they try to pull you down, right? And that's how I vision it. Like, you're high on life, right? You come to church, and then oh, the rest of the world just does this job of, like, pulling you down. Go to Holy Scripture. Have it on your phone. Don't, most of you have, like, a notes. Just a, it's the simplest app on any smartphone. It's called Notes or something like that. Put this in there and go, I feel like I'm getting pulled down. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. That wasn't so hard. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How about that? It works every time. Every time. That's the perspective that we ought to have when we embark on any journey in the Bible. That includes times like this morning or times when you're alone with him, reading your Bible, or times when you're in a Bible study with other believers in Christ. In any and all of these cases, we ought to come to the table with this one thought in mind, that life is good because we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 How about that for life is good? How about that for life is good perspective? That thing, right? That old life that we've shed, it's dead. Kaput, done. Has no power over us anymore. Used to be all we knew as unbelievers. But we don't do that anymore. We don't even regard each other by means of the flesh anymore. We're attached to and we are to focus on the new creature that our our lives are hidden with Christ in God we are co-victors even I think that perspective alone is enough to free us from any bondage we might be feeling this morning agreed yeah here was our anchor principle from the life is good because God says so series up here on the board this is not conjecture it is a fact because God says so we did all that good work before I left, we did all that good work. So before I left on vacation, the Spirit asked us to challenge our own perspectives on the topic of why, and this is where it gets difficult, why we might lose sight of the fact that life is good and that the Lord is our confidence. How does that happen to somebody who's been saved? How do we lose sight of that thing? 
Why does that happen? The pivotal, very practical question for us to answer is this. And this is a lot of what he got us thinking about uh, in previous installments of this series. When you're under pressure, who do you turn to? Right? You know, when, when you go back to work tomorrow, if you, if you work a regular job or, you know, or if you're taking care of them, whatever you do, whatever activities you do, you know, if you're retired, whatever it is you do, when you're under pressure, who do you turn to? I'll be honest, I mean, I still do it. I turn to myself. I'm like, dude, you know how to solve this problem. You're an engineer, right? You can do this thing. You, you, I mean, you do, right? I'm like, next thing I'm like, I'm amazing. I should just solve it myself. <laughs> right? That's what we do, right? When tough times get tough, I'm like, where's, 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 why am I not doing Where's God? I'll just do it myself then. I may not say that, but my actions speak so loud. That's what I do. Right? I start solving problems with my own ingenuity. How about you? When you're under pressure, who do you turn to? Some of you might say, that's easy, my spouse. That's great, I suppose. Not the best. If two things are absolutely true. One, they're a believer. Don't ever take that for granted. And two, when you go to them, they're filled with the Spirit. That isn't always true either. So, even in, let's call that, favorable circumstances, let's say both of those things are true, our odds are decreased significantly from the better option, the other option. The correct answer to the question on the board should always be God. Always. Should always be God. When you're under pressure, who do you turn to? So, given what the Spirit just gave us regarding, you know, quote, favorable circumstances, what say you of the seemingly common practice, even in Christianity proper, of turning to unbelievers? I mean, if we have a godly spouse, it's dangerous to turn to them. What about turning to an unbeliever? Go to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. What's the Bible say about that? I mean, Paul wrote uh, lengthy letters to the church at Corinth because they were plagued with what I would consider uh, a society most like American society today, wealthy with all the trappings. 2 Corinthians 6.11, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. That's something you all have to think about. Are you restricted in your affections? Oh, I know they're an unbeliever, but stop. There is no but. You are, not restricted. You are restricted in your own affections. You're your own worst nightmare. In other words, the choices you make day in and day out. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked 
with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Let me frame this differently to help drive this home. And I'll use the life of Christ to do so. Every, I said that loud on purpose, every circumstance in life for Jesus was a spiritual one. Every circumstance in life for Jesus was a spiritual one. Let that sink in. It's something that the Spirit's been impressing upon my own life for years now. Let me give you some Holy Scripture up here on the board in the Amplified, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, that's me, for it was they who brought you the Word of God, and consider the result of their conduct, the outcome of their godly lives, and imitate their faith, their conviction that God exists and is the Creator and Ruler of all things, the provider of eternal salvation through Christ, and imitate their reliance on God with absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. Do I do that perfectly? No. But I'm a good example. I'm here, ain't I? Some days it's hard to get here. Some days it's not all that encouraging for a variety of reasons. But I'm here. Look at my actions. So you've got two witnesses to the following fact. Every circumstance in life is a spiritual one. I know that now. I'm going to uh, share with you something, uh, an error that I've made many, many times in my life. I still catch myself doing it. I'm just going to share. I often catch myself nowadays when I ask people, hey, how are you doing? I'll say, I really am questioning, like, how are you doing? Um, and then after they answer that question, I'll ask, how are you doing spiritually? What's the problem with this line of questioning? Well, the subtle one is that there's a distinction being drawn between two so-called separate facets of life. But that distinction is evil. You see it? It's evil. And it's one that I believe Satan and the kingdom of darkness capitalizes on Quite often, think about it. To make such a distinction is to allow room for separation in the soul. In other words, I'm going to ask you, how are you? Cool. How are you spiritually? What did I do? I literally categorized two facets of your life. When the Bible says this is true. I actually walked you into a form of evil. Some of you are like, I remember you asking me that. You, you're a sinner. <laughs> I trusted you. I trusted you. <laughs> right? What did I do? Inadvertently, not just, you know. Do you remember what, when, when we do that to our souls, when we split our soul like that? Do you remember what the Bible says about that? 
James 1, 7, 8 appear on the board. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded. Dipsukos, that's what dipsukos means. To start categorizing things, you see. This is my life. God, you stay away. This is my little life where I play with unbelievers and I carry on with Belial and darkness and I have my little, you know, come on, it used to be 20%, Lord. Now it's only 10%. Stop. Stop it. When someone, asks, someone like me asks you how you're doing, it literally should be this way. One answer. And it has everything to do with the spiritual life. Otherwise, you're dipsukos, do you see? You split it. So that person must not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded. Dipsukos means properly two-souled, figuratively double-minded. An example, a person split in half, vacillating like a spiritual schizophrenic. Those are not my words. A double-minded man. And what's the result? Unstable in all his ways. And I, if you do that thing that I encourage sometimes, this is my life, this is my life in Christ. If you do that thing, you will be unstable. You will suffer, you will lose your peace, you will lose your contentment, because no one's content, except Jesus Christ in the bottom of the ship, but you get the point. No one's content when they're out at sea and they're doing this, blowing all over the place. You want this, right? This is a single-minded person that I alluded to earlier. This is a double-minded person. I call this dysfunction junction. Some of you promote it on purpose. Some of you, you know, life is too boring. Seriously? I wish life was more boring. Do you see the issue anyways with asking somebody how they're doing and then how they're doing spiritually, I hope? I know it's subtle, but as you continue to grow spiritually, you realize that Satan and the kingdom of darkness slither around in the gray areas of truth. Go to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. Do not be dipsukos, double-minded. Do not categorize, okay, on Sundays and Thursdays, I go to church, and the rest of the time, that's for God and maybe a little before and a little after with a little fellowship, and that's what I do for God, and then the rest of my time is mine. Now, last time I checked, you were purchased by the blood of Christ. He didn't just purchase the little part, you know, Sundays and Thursdays. He didn't just purchase Sundays and Thursdays for you. He purchased you. That includes all of you. You don't have any right to this other thing that you keep cordoning off. And, and you know, frolicking in like a fool. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded. That's the opposite of intoxicated. In other words, do not be intoxicated with life as we know it by the, the God of this world and the, the trappings. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Again, the principle being amplified here is every circumstance in life for Jesus was a spiritual one, and therefore it's the same for us. This is why the spirits had us considering the following as of late. Go to 1 John 4.1. 1 
1 John 4, 1. Again, we're, these are all points of review with some added uh, emphasis. 1 John 4, verse 1. So this was really heavy on the docket uh, before I left. <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Okay, so if you're spending your time with unbelievers, uh, don't you think this would apply? They're going to say a lot of stuff in your presence, correct? Satan's going to work through them in your presence, correct? Satan really wants to trip you up and frustrate the plan of God in your life, correct? Uh, then don't believe every spirit. An unbeliever has, does not have the spirit of Christ in them. So you are by default listening to another spirit. Kind of puts you in a bad position, right? Kind of puts you in a position where it, there's only down. You can only be dragged down at that point. It's not going to be anything edifying because they don't know how to do that. They're going to drag you down to their level. And some of you are like, good, that's where I want to go. It's Friday night. Right? Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, the threat is large. Here's the ongoing advice from the Spirit up here on the board. Test the Spirit. Some might ask, well, how do I do that? Well, for starters, see if what this so-called Spirit is saying is appealing to your flesh or God's will. Where is it dragging you off to? They're saying, hey, let's go spend some time fellowshipping in the Word. Let's talk about Christ. We can do this over an ice cream cone. We don't even have to say the word Christ. We can just fellowship as believers in Christ. Do you understand? We can be yoked the same way. We can share an ice cream and do that. But the Word says, do not get yoked with an unbeliever. Because now you're strapped to a conversation and a type of fellowship that is unholy. Not meant to glorify God meant to take you away from him. So how do you do that? For starters, see if what the Spirit is saying is appealing to your flesh or God's will. It's imperative. You assess this honestly. If the answer is my flesh, then you know it cannot be from God. This is where this, this is a very interesting part of this message. Um, I've heard a good number of Christians say, uh, married, unmarried, doesn't matter. I've heard a good number of Christians say, I'm lonely. So I turn to whoever's available to me at the time. I'm lonely. It justifies my turning to whoever's available. Believer, unbeliever, I don't care. I'm lonely. I need someone. The pressure's on. I need someone. That's the whole point of this part of this message this morning. Remember how we started off down this vein of thinking? Let me remind you. When you're under pressure, who do you turn to? Is so-called loneliness a form of pressure? Yeah. Who do you turn to? The second principle is this. Every circumstance in life is a spiritual one. Who do you turn to when you're under pressure? Every circumstance in life is a spiritual one. So if you're lonely, is it worldly or spiritual for you, a believer? 
Answer. Thank you. It's spirit. Some of you are like, I'm not answering because that would be, I'd be liable to it. You're already liable to it because you heard it from the spirit. Thank you very much. I should say you're welcome. Right? Seriously. Every circumstance in life is a spiritual one. Do not make the mistake of categorizing things away in your life. At least if you want to be truly delivered anyways. Up here on the board. Up here on the board. Up here on the board. <laughs> Going to loosen you guys up. Whenever it gets silly, I'm telling you, these subs, you should see people. It's like this. <laughs> Lips are gone. It's like, What happened? We were having such a good time. Don't make excuses. Loneliness is never. What did I say? Loneliness is what? Never. Never, never an excuse for turning to evil things or allowing evil thoughts to fester and manifest ultimately in sin. Never. Go to James 1.12. James 1.12. You're almost a flaming jackass for saying you're lonely. No, I'm serious. Who's Christ to you then? You're lonely for real? If everything in this life is spiritual and Christ lives in you, how can you possibly be lonely? You're just a brat. You're acting like a brat in that moment. I'm not saying I don't even do it. Because I have. But that's none of your business. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Okay, that was point number one, right? What do you do when you're under pressure? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am, be tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived. Remember, we had a huge series, 70-something parts. The deceitfulness of sin. Why? Because of this. Because so many of us are deceived day in and day out. What is the problem? Well, one of them is we like to make excuses. We like to justify the most unholy things. We say, you don't understand, I'm lonely. Hey, how about you spend one week in this post, and, and then, then let's talk about what loneliness is. I was just telling people before class, I said, I, thank you, Nadine, for coming and actually encouraging me. I knew Nadine... 30, what was it, 30, something, 30 years ago? From high school. She's a year older than me, although you can't tell. Right? Do you know how many friends I've lost from high school? So-called best friends. Don't call me anymore. Saw one in Target with Tammy the other day. They looked at me like, yeah, hey. I'm like, you were my first girlfriend. Was I that bad? She didn't even talk to me. She didn't even want to be around me. Oh, hey. Weren't we friends? My so-called best friend from high school comes into town, doesn't even call me anymore. Doesn't even tell me he's here anymore. Would rather spend time with a bunch of unbelievers. Going to baseball games. You know, with his big one finger. 
right? Now listen, listen. Don't listen. Loneliness is bull. It's a cop-out. It's an excuse that we use. Do you understand? To do stuff we want to do. To give birth to sin. That's what it is. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's exactly what it is because you're a jackass for saying you're lonely when you're in Christ Jesus. Fair enough? I call myself a jackass, so don't feel so bad. I look in the mirror, I say, you're a jackass. Gee, why do you guys think that's funny? You don't think it's funny when you're on the fly? You're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you're a jackass. You don't even have hair. Got to loosen them up, DJ. Loneliness is never an excuse for turning to evil things or allowing evil thoughts to fester and manifest, ultimately in sin. We just read it. Don't believe me? Keep reading that verse. If you're lonely, do yourself a favor and remember Paul at the end of his ministry. Some of you are getting lonelier and lonelier as you mature in the faith. What's he really saying? He's going, that's the way it goes, silly. That's the way it's supposed to be. This world loves its own. The more you, the more you project Jesus Christ in your life, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to leave you. They're going to bail on you. They don't want anything to do with you. That's the glory of this place, where we can come together, right? Where we would never come together. Nadine doesn't, would never come visit me. That was a joke. Right? She's like, what? Why are you picking on me? Right? I'm just saying, right? I would, would any of you really come see me? Probably not. Most of you think my personality is a little rough around the edges. So you, don't, you say, I, don't, I would never really hang out with that guy. But we can hang out together because of what? We have a bond in Christ Jesus. Right? That's, that's what this is all about. But you go outside of these walls and it's like a, you know, it just dissipates to nothing. Loneliness is the name of the game out there. So the lonelier and lonelier you get, it really is another litmus test. I must be maturing in the faith because people are ejecting me from their life. Again, what about Paul? Go to 2 Timothy 4.6. Don't believe me. This is what it looks like, okay? Who lived more for Christ than Paul? Anybody in here? No. What about Paul? As an example, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. This is Paul towards the end, right? He's writing to Timothy, who he loved like a son, who he raised up in the faith. Paul wrote, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's like, I'm about to die here. Okay, This is how it's ending for me. So the next time you get on your little violin and say, I'm lonely, think about Paul, who fought a fight that you can't even fathom. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Damas, in love with this present world, you see, has deserted, and the Greek and deserted means to utterly desert, to forsake. So he was with him, and then he literally just turned his back on him. 
That's what it looks like at the end. Love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, uh, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Expect that too. Your best friend is going to turn on you. That little, that little thing, <laughs> the, the, the one that you, oh, you just cling to because you like them, but they're an unbeliever. They're going to turn on you. you they, this is how it works in this world. For as long as you have utility in their life, they will keep you around. As soon as that utility shot, goodbye, sayonara, I'm done. That's what you can expect from the world. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. In other words, hand it over to the Supreme Court of Heaven. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me. This is Paul. Do you know, like the majority writer of the New Testament? This guy is, was prolific. Everyone knew Paul. No one came to stand by him. But all deserted me. What? You mean you didn't have like droves of people volunteering? You didn't have to like turn people away to defend you, to stand up for you? Nope. No one. What's the lesson? What do you think in your life? Who's going to come defend you? The one inside of you. May it not be charged against them. Talk about a grace attitude. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, you see? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what about Paul's journey towards the end of his life? He was alone. Save a few. Might we conclude that Paul became increasingly, quote, lonely? Is that fair to say? He had a lot of friends, remember, when he was a, a Pharisee, right? And then you look at the progression. No one. Hardly anyone. So is it fair to say, like, the Apostle Paul got, quote, lonelier as his life progressed? What was his response, though? Here's the key, and this is driving home the two points I brought up earlier. Look at verse 17 again. What was his response? So he's lonely, right? Nobody comes to his defense even. But the Lord stood by me. No one else did, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. There's your lesson, people, for those of you who call each other and say, I'm lonely and I'm blah, blah, blah. Wake up. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Take that to heart. And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, what do you expect as you mature in the faith? Furthermore, what do you expect 
the kingdom of darkness to try to take advantage of as you struggle with this from time to time. One last bit of perspective. You ready? What could be possibly lonelier than this? real what could be possibly lonelier than that and you're being about being lonely you're complaining about being lonely you're calling up other people you're bleeding all over other people that you're lonely are you serious right now you don't know lonely you don't you have Jesus Christ inside of you because of that loneliness he was forsaken by his father, and he was perfect. Are you perfect? Not even close. Not even close. So quit your being about being lonely and stop making ridiculous decisions and excuses for sin in your life. Why do I say this? Because I love you. It's the same love that's pouring out of me. Not quite to the same degree, okay? But of the same flavor that hung on a cross. This is protective love. Stop doing that garbage to yourself. Stop being seduced by the world. It does not love Christ. It does not love you. You are a pawn. That is it. It will wipe the floor with you first chance it gets. The first chance something better comes along. Someone better comes along. You are the first person on the floor like the end of a mop. If you saw the movie, The Passion of Christ, one of the things that was very interesting was during critical moments in Jesus' life, the director showed Satan circling around the scene. Do you remember what he, found, oh, what he was found doing at the start of the book of Job? What have you been doing, Satan? Oh, you know, circling around the earth. What do you think he, he and his demons are doing in your life? If you truly are standing up for Christ, what do you think? You're probably not going to get Satan, so don't be. What do you think his demons are doing in your life? Do you think they can hear you utter the words, I'm lonely, to others, or out loud even? Or do you think they can read your texts to the same effect? Indeed, they can. What makes you think that when you expose yourself like that, they won't take full advantage of the situation? I hate to be so crass, but you're as dumb as a box of nails if you think they won't. In fact, they are circling around us all the time. But let us not just blame them. We have our own flesh that's actually looking to be seduced by the kingdom of darkness. We have our own flesh that is looking for a partner in crime. We have a flesh that is truly whorish. I have in my notes here a complete slut. That's your flesh. I always get a kick out of people when they get all defensive and say, what do you think I am, a slut or something? 
And I never really say it, but the answer is absolutely. Why do you proclaim you're not a slut? If so, you are delusional. Because everybody in here is one. Every time you sin, you adulterate on the one who went to the cross for you. I almost had to, I cannot do it. I almost had to say, what are you? I'm not going to say that. I won't ask you to call yourselves that on a Sunday morning. But you need to understand the nature of your flesh. It's terrible. It's always looking for an excuse. I use strong language fearlessly on a Sunday morning because we all have a flesh that is a complete whore. Here's what I'll leave you with after one last moment to remember the picture on the board. Go ahead, take another look. As you ponder Christ's work, remember that it's your whorishness that put him there. Remember this, my friends, and appreciate why the strength, why the, oh my word, this is a Sunday morning message, like new people, like, oh my God, right? Why? Because that's, <laughs> that's the depths that he went to save you. That's the, that's the genesis of the penalty that he had to pay for you. You should know how grotesque the human flesh is. You shouldn't try to paint a smile on it like religions do and say, oh, you're not that bad. You're, you're pretty darn good. You're almost good enough to make it to heaven. You're right about there. Roll the dice. No, you suck in your flesh. Happy Sunday morning. When you get that visceral, right, when you say, it's true, it's true, then you have the ability to appreciate why the Spirit has given us this tremendous curriculum since last summer to focus on. In the absence of that grit, right, in the absence of that truth, you could find a little escape hatch, couldn't you? All right, all right, all right, I sinned a few times. I'm not that bad. No, he gets a bald guy up there who has the audacity to cause an affront in your soul. Good. Good. I'm glad. That means I did my job. Just remember this. Sin is patient. Circling around, my friends, looking for an opportunity. <gasps> Bloop, bloop. I just saw that person did a text. I'm lonely. Perfect. I'm on it. You ever read screw tape letters? C.S. Lewis? Read it. Perfect. Just what I wanted to see. I'm on it. They're weak. They're vulnerable. Let's go. Let's start tempting them this way and this way, because this is how we've got them a hundred times before, right? Let's do it this way. Let's just start throwing some fiery darts in there. Oh, yeah, you're lonely. You, 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 know, you deserve to sin a little bit. Go grab a little vino and pour some back and then make some ridiculous phone calls. Why don't you drunk dial a few people along the way to invite unbelievers into your life or worse? Sin is patient. It just lingers, waits around for you to be weak. It hates that you have a freeing relationship with the holy God of the universe. Your flesh is crossing its arms and pounding its feet in defeat. And Satan in the kingdom of darkness is doing everything to convince you to take the bait, to be seduced. If even just one last time in that area of weakness of yours, 
just please remember that God holds each of us individually responsible for our own lives. We've been blessed beyond measure by being redeemed out of the slave market of sin. The why here has been consistent. It's to put us all on guard against the principalities and the powers that encircle us. It's to keep us sober to the fact that we have real enemies opposing the will of God in us. And it's to instill the fear of God in us to the tune of humility and obedience. For this is the first step to deliverance in every way. Just some closing scripture up here on the board. Let this sink in. Jeremiah 12, 13. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Uh, Hosea, that's supposed to be Hosea. I put, that's supposed to be Hosea, not Hebrews. For they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. And uh, I keep having, that's supposed to be Hosea as well. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And before we embark on communion service, please remember one last thing from this message up here on the board. Every circumstance in life is a spiritual one. Every circumstance. Don't do that thing where you categorize your life this way and then there's a spiritual... No. All of you, all in. Every circumstance in life is a spiritual one. Remember Jesus? Every circumstance is a spiritual one. Do not do that thing lest you become dipsukos. Amen? All right, let's prepare for communion service, gentlemen.
Thank you, gentlemen. Not a whole lot to say after that. Amen? All right, let's just celebrate. For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of his person. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of his work. Let's drink the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for setting aside times like this, special times for individuals to come to know the truth, to be set free by it. Father, thank you for the completed canon of Holy Scripture. We're so grateful for the guidance that affords each one of us, as well as the congregation, Father. We're just so humbled by what you've done for us at the cross. May we never become familiar with it. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take all that we've learned this morning back to the privacy of our own souls and our homes, and then possibly your will be done out to a world that's just accelerating away from you. We ask these things in Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.